0: Check. I don't know if I did something, but this is not what it sounded like 45 minutes ago. All right, welcome. It's good to be with you guys. Um, Hey, if this is your first time here, my name is Garrison, and I am uh, the pastor here at Veritas State, and we're very glad you're here. If you want to open up your Bibles to Galatians 6, Galatians 6, we're going to be looking at Galatians 6, 6 through 10, Galatians 6, chapter 6. The 6 is the big number in the Bible. The 6 through 10, those are the verses. Those are the smaller numbers. You can open to Galatians 6, 6 through 10. If you don't have a Bible, there should be white paperback Bibles on the edge of each bench. You can grab one of those, turn to page 567. That'll get you to Galatians chapter 6. If you don't have a Bible, take that one home. That's our gift to you. Uh, continuing in our sermon series in Galatians, and we're actually this is the second to last Sunday, so we're actually almost finished with uh, Paul's letter to the Galatians. Um, but before we jump in, I I, I wanted to kind of do a little bit of a, a review. Um, If you're a college student that's been away for the summer, or if this is your your first time joining us, I want to hopefully kind of bring you up to speed a little bit as far as uh, where we've been in Galatians. Uh, And I want to do this as quickly as I possibly can, um, so this won't be adequate. But if you're really keen on looking more into the book of Galatians, Paul's letter to the Galatians, understanding it more, uh, we have a podcast you can go back and listen to, uh, all the sermons that we have been through, except for last week. We didn't record it last week. You can go through and look at all of the sermons in uh, Galatians uh, that we've walked through in the last uh, 24, 25 weeks or so. You can go all the way back to March, and you would see the first sermon that we preach on Galatians is called uh, the, the Messenger, The Mess, and The Message of Galatians. And if you were to to listen to that sermon, you would you would uh, find out that these churches in Galatia that Paul planted are um, in a real pickle. It's, uh, it's, it's kind of a mess in Galatia. Paul originally came to them. He came to them preaching the gospel, the good news about Jesus Christ. And he came to them preaching the good news about Jesus Christ so clearly that um, in Galatians three one, Paul actually said that when he preached to them that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified to them they they it was like when he preached the gospel that they saw Jesus with the with the eyes of their souls they saw Jesus and they were convicted by Jesus and they repented and trusted in Jesus because they saw Jesus with the eyes of faith and the good news, the, the particular piece of good news about the crucifixion of Jesus in this book that, uh, that Paul talks about in this book is that it purchased and secured what is called our justification. Our justification. Uh, we, sinners though we are, can be justified in God's sight. So that word justified, as we saw when we looked at Galatians, it's a legal term. It's a legal term. It means that Christ... Um, that in Christ, God forgives us the record of sin that we have and grants us the perfect record of Jesus. Okay, So God, our judge and king, he covers us in Jesus. And in doing so, he forgives us all of our sin and all of our depravity. And and the way that he does that is by taking our sin and placing it onto Jesus when Jesus died on the cross 2,000 years ago. Not only that, He not only forgives our sin and treats us as if we never sinned, but as we're covered in Jesus, that means that we're also covered in the righteousness of Jesus, the the goodness of Jesus, the beauty of Jesus, the perfection of Jesus, the, the sonship of Jesus. So that means that we, sinners though we are, all that Jesus is, all that he has before the Father, we can boldly claim for our own. We are God's beloved children in Jesus. So what we saw as we walked through Galatians. And all of this is given to us, we saw, as a free gift. It's free to us because Jesus paid the price for it in his crucifixion, and he guarantees it by his resurrection. The question for us is, is not, what do we do to be saved? What do we do to, to earn a right standing before God? The, the question for us is, have we despaired of our own righteousness? Are are we convinced of our spiritual bankruptcy? Because in all reality, the only thing that we bring to this great salvation is the sin that makes it necessary. That's the good news that Paul preached to the Galatians. But the mess in the churches of Galatia is that a group of people that we've been calling the Judaizers uh, snuck into the churches and they started preaching a false message Instead of preaching that wonderful message of God's free forgiveness in Christ Jesus, they started to preach that while Jesus gets us you know, most of the way there, uh, that, that we need to do some extra things to get the rest of the way. We have to obey some laws. We have to go through a particular ceremony called circumcision. They had to finish what Jesus merely started. And so Paul writes to these churches with with fire, He's confronting them, he's rebuking them, he's pleading with them, and all in hopes of restoring them. That's what Galatians is all about. In the first two chapters, Paul walks us through the story, uh, his own personal story to defend his office as an apostle, to remind the Galatians that he has the God-given authority to define the gospel of Jesus Christ to the church without error and then chapters 3 and 4 are, are Paul unpacking the content of the gospel. Uh, th- there he speaks to the good news of our justification and new standing and sonship before God in Jesus Christ. And then as we walk through these last chapters, we see that this justification, this, this reality of being in Christ, not only reconciles us to God, but it also reconciles us to one another. It also reconciles us to one another. and In and, and chapters 5 and 6, Paul moves from talking about our relationship with God through Jesus Christ to speaking about our relationship with one another through Jesus Christ. And so we've been looking at this the last several weeks, um, uh, how the gospel not only brings us to God for salvation, but it also brings us to our neighbor for service, to serve our neighbor. The gospel not only causes us to look to God for salvation, but to our neighbor to serve so that's where we are. That's, that's where we are in the kind of big scheme of things with the book of Galatians. And with that quick update, we're going to dig into Galatians 6 6 through 10. If you want to stand with me for the reading of God's holy word, we stand when we read God's word and we pay attention, we listen with reverence and joy, because we believe that this is the voice of our God speaking to us. And so hear what the Spirit has to say to you, church. Let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption but the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Father, your word is perfect and true. Your word is sufficient. Your word is powerful. And so would you pierce our hearts with the truth of your word now? Lord, would you let it be a lamp into our feet and a light into our path? Lord, would you help us to feast on your word, knowing that we don't live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from your mouth. Would you help us to feast on your word now, to consume it? And as this word goes into us, Lord, we ask that the, that the seed of the word would not fall on our hearts like rocky soil or, or hardened path or thorny soil, but that our hearts would be like fresh, fertile soil prepared by your Spirit to receive the seed of the Word and to produce 30, 60, even a hundredfold. Father, would you open our eyes to behold wondrous things from your Word, to behold your Son, Jesus Christ, in your Word and to your glory in the face of your Son in your Word. Would you let the words of my mouth, the meditations of all of our hearts, be acceptable in your sight. You are our Lord, our rock, our redeemer. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can have a seat. I want to talk to you this morning, the second part of what we started last week, talking about the spiritual church. What does it mean to be spiritual? What does it what does it look like to live? What does it mean to live the the spiritual life? Now, admittedly, that word spiritual is incredibly vague. Uh, it's sort of a junk drawer term that we Western types like to uh, fill with uh, whatever sort of junk definitions we feel like filling it with in the moment. Uh, very often t- today, you'll you'll hear people say things like, "I'm spiritual," but but not religious. Many people use the word spiritual that way. But it's also a word that, that Paul uses in Galatians chapter 6 here. He says in Galatians chapter 6, one, uh, that when a, a brother or sister falls, that you who are spiritual should restore him or her in a spirit of gentleness. You who are spiritual. What does it mean to be spiritual? Uh, philosopher William James defined spirituality this way feelings acts experiences of individual men in their solitude so far as they apprehend themselves to stand in relation to whatever they may consider divine that's interesting feelings acts experiences of individual men in their solitude you know I, I'd say that that's probably the definition that most people who say things like they're spiritual but not religious usually it's probably what they mean that's probably one definition that they would be satisfied with actually i had one agnostic friend one time i was sharing the gospel with him and and he he said to me why why is something so personal and private something you feel the need to tell others about all the time why why is why is this this thing that's supposed to be so personal something you, you feel the need to talk to others about Or in other words, he's saying your spiritual life is private. It's what you do in your solitude, and it's personal. It's not something that is the same for everyone, And so keep it to yourself. But Paul's letter to the Galatians announces to us a very different definition of spirituality, a very different definition of being spiritual, doesn't it? Galatians offers to us a view of spirituality that isn't based on on personal and private opinions or experiences. It tells us that the spiritual life is a life lived in the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity. Galatians 5.25 says, If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Spirituality, according to the Bible, is life from the Spirit according to the Bible. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a life from the Spirit that produces us keeping in step with the Spirit and bearing the fruit of the Spirit. And he cultivates this life in us through uh, you know, what we often call the means of grace, things like the Word and prayer and community and the sacraments. But but he's the one that gives the life. He's the one that is acting in these things. And that life in the Spirit produces what we looked at several weeks ago called the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And what we've seen from Paul in the last few weeks is that this fruit is not for our own personal enjoyment and fulfillment, but for the good of others. It's for the benefit of others and their enjoyment. True spirituality is, is not an inward journey toward personal fulfillment and it's not a quest for personal growth. True spirituality is life in the Spirit, trusting in Jesus, and pouring your life out for others. Far from being personal feelings and experiences of individuals in their solitude, as William James would. Have us think true spirituality, biblical spirituality, comes not from within us but from the triune God and results in you turning from self-obsession, from self-focus, from from self-fulfillment to caring for your neighbor, to bearing your neighbor's burdens, to caring for your neighbor, to caring for God's people, to helping others follow Jesus. And last week, we saw that this takes on a particular focus of being a community that practices church discipline with humility and gentleness, aiming to restore wandering Christians to the family of faith. And our text this week continues this theme of loving the family of faith. True spirituality, according to our text this morning, is, is not individualistic. Rather, it's turning from self-obsession to do good to all, especially to those in the household of faith, the family of faith. Rather than being focused on, on self-preservation, self-service, self-fulfillment, self-focus, your focus is on... let us do good. As we have opportunity, let us do good. Now remember context here. We've just come out of Galatians 1 to 4 where we saw that salvation is a gift from God, not a result of works. Uh, But what we're seeing now in Galatians 5 and 6 is that while salvation is not a result of good works, good works are a result of salvation. While good works do not earn us our justified status before God, while good works do not earn us the presence of the Spirit, this great salvation does produce good works in us, to our neighbors. And so Paul says, let us do good. Let us do good. But what does that mean? Do good. I believe the Galatians would have understood this as the call to practical generosity, being generous with our time, with our talent, with our money, obeying Christ's commands in, in Matthew 25 to feed the hungry, hungry, give drink to the thirsty, showing hospitality to those who don't look like us or talk like us or act like us, clothing naked, caring for the sick, visiting those in prison, they would have understood it as James one twenty seven says, that pure and true religion before God the Father is to visit orphans and widows in their affliction. Doing good means tutoring the unlearned, mentoring the lonely. It means picking up trash in your neighborhood. It means helping your neighbor out and watching out for your neighbors. It means praying for others and for their salvation. It means sharing the good news of the gospel with those who don't No, it It means being practically generous. It means doing good. It means doing good. But to who? That's a good question. Where do our good works go? You know, our good works don't go to God for for salvation. They don't go to God for, for earning. Our good works go to our neighbor. Our good works go to our neighbor for their good. But who is our neighbor? That's a question someone asked Jesus once. And Paul answers that question in the same way that Jesus did. First, Paul says, we're to be practically generous to everyone. To everyone. A spiritual church is a church that is practically generous to everyone, that does good to everyone as they have opportunity. Now, I actually did a word study on this word translated as everyone here, and I found out that the word means everyone. Which is, really, it's, I know, which is really one of the things that's so different and so radical and so puzzling to others outside of the Christian faith. A local church is, is not a family of people that only does good to one another and that only does good to their families. As Jesus said, if you greet your brothers, what more are you doing? Or if you only greet your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even those outside the faith do the same? but we're not outside the faith. We're, we're children of the Father in heaven who sends rain to refresh the just and the unjust, who, who makes the sun rise on evil people and those who have been declared righteous in Jesus Christ. And so as sons and daughters of this God, we're called to not just do good to to those who look like us and that talk like us and act like us and value the same things that we do and believe what we believe. The family of faith is the family that does good to men and women and children and that does good to to Asian people and black people and to uh, Caucasian people and to to latino people and Mid- middle eastern people the family of faith in jesus christ are those who do good to republicans and democrats the family of faith does good to muslim and hindu and buddhist people and atheists yes while holding to biblical con- convictions yes while still holding to the one true gospel not losing the gospel but doing good to all nonetheless and church, this even extends to those who hate us, who mock us, who make fun of us. That's why churches in places of persecution still love and still serve and still forgive the enemies of the faith. Because we're called to do good to everyone as we have opportunity. And if we only do good to those that love us, there's no reward in that. Listen, I, I don't know if, you know if you've noticed this, but, but we live in a city that is filled with opportunities to do good, for us to be practically generous. There's so much need, so much opportunity. If you're, if you're looking for, for ways to do good, I mean, it, it first starts with you doing your vocation well in a, in a just and, and merciful manner. And beyond that, there are a number of other ways for you to get involved as well, you've probably heard us talk about in the last several months, safe families, mentoring children at Ruskin, Victory Project. You've heard us talk about these things. Ask for more information if you're, if you're wanting to get involved. But even if you don't do any of that, you, you probably live in a house, most likely, and in your, uh, in your neighborhood, surrounding your house, there are other houses, and people live in those houses. People do. And you can go out of your house and turn in any direction and probably go knock on someone's door and ask if they want to come over for dinner and you can hear their stories and love them and do good to them. Do that and, and particularly be on the lookout for those in your neighborhood that are that are marginalized and those who are oppressed and those who are forgotten. Be on the lookout for, for widows and, and single moms and and those who who are forgotten and oppressed and marginalized. Be on the lookout for shut-ins on your street. Go to them. Ask them questions about themselves and just talk to them. Listen to their stories. and Get to know them. Eat food with them. Enjoy their company. Be practically generous. Let us do good to everyone as we have opportunity. But that's actually not what the main sort of thrust of chapter six of Galatians is all about. While we're to be practically generous to those outside of our local church community, absolutely This doing good to all starts at home. We're to do good to all, but we have a special responsibility to care for those in our own household and our own family of faith. Paul says, as we have opportunity, we're to do good to everyone, especially to those who are of the household of faith. So notice the, the type of language Paul is using here. He's telling the Galatians that those within your particular churches are part of your household. Okay, they're they're part of your family. You know, we've, we've all been adopted by God. He is our Father. And now that we've been adopted by God, we're a spiritual family. We're brothers and sisters in Christ. And when we're looking at the vast amount of need in our city, our brothers and sisters have a special claim on us. One pastor put it this way. Every poor and distressed person has a claim on me for pity and if I can't afford it for active exertion and monetary relief. But a poor Christian has a far stronger claim on my feelings, my labors, and my property. He is my brother, equally interested as myself in the blood and love of the Redeemer. I expect to spend an eternity with him. He is the representative of my unseen Savior And he considers everything done to his poor afflicted as done to himself. For a Christian to be unkind to a Christian is not only wrong, it is monstrous. As we we do good to all, but especially to our own. We're to take care of one another. Meet one another's needs when they arise sacrificially give, sacrificially serve, sacrificially care. We're to make and bring meals to one another when the need arises. We visit one another in the hospital. We listen to one another. We pray for one another. Listen, if you're a part of this church, uh, if there's ever a time that, that you can't meet your own basic needs, if there's ever a time that you can't buy groceries, if there's ever a time that you can't provide for your own basic needs, if you make your need known, it will be met. I promise you. If you make your need known, it will be met. No one in this church will ever go hungry. No one in this church will ever be put out on the street. No one in this church will go without their basic needs being met if the need is made known. We're called to do good to all, especially those in the household of faith. We're called to be practically generous to all, especially to those within the household of faith. Then Paul also includes a specific role within the church that requires our practical generosity. It's <laughs> about to get awkward. In verse 1, Paul says, Let the one who has taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. Okay, so there's, there's a direct connection here between doing good to those of the household of faith in verse 6 and sharing all good things with the one who teaches here in verse 1. This is a particular role within the household of faith that calls for practical generosity. It's a specific role within the household of faith, and I think it's going to require a bit of explanation. If you've been around for any amount of time at Veritas, you, you know that we place a high level of importance on the preaching of, and teaching of God's word when we gather. In fact, I, I think we would go as far to say uh, that, that we believe it is the central responsibility of the church and the most important practice that we as a church are to give ourselves to to publicly read and proclaim and apply and understand and obey God's word. We place a high, high level of importance on doing that because we place high, high level of value on the word of God. We believe that the Bible is God's voice to us. It's him speaking to us. We believe that that God, when his word is preached, that that he is present to act and that he saves and heals and transforms through the hearing of his word as it is preached and taught. And this is what the role of pastor is all about. That's what the role of pastor is all all about. Paul tells uh, Pastor Timothy in 2 Timothy 4.2, preach the word in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with complete patience and teaching. Earlier in a a letter to Timothy, 1 Timothy 3.2, Paul says that one of the requirements for a pastor is that he is able to teach. Why? Because the word of God is important. Because the word of God is central to our life as Christians. In Romans 10.24, Paul says that faith comes by hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. So it's essential for our salvation for us to hear the gospel proclaimed. And it is essential for the ongoing growth and assurance in the Christian life to be continually taught the word of God. It is therefore, because of that, vitally important that pastors see their primary calling as preaching and teaching this book it's what the role of pastor is all about. Pastors are not CEOs. Pastors are not entertainers. They're not salesmen. They're not life coaches. As Philip Graham Ryken put it, a true minister is nothing more and nothing less than a minister of the word. Ephesians four eleven to twelve says that the role of pastor, teacher. That's one single role. You can turn there. It says shepherds and teachers, but that's one single role. Pastor teacher, the role of pastor teacher is a gift to the church to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to maturity. In other words, pastors are a gift of the Holy Spirit to the church to equip the church by the teaching and preaching of the Word of God so that the people of the church can be a people that do good to all, especially to those of the household of faith. And I think it's that reason that Paul says to the churches in Galatia that if at all possible, a church should financially support at least one person in the congregation who can devote themselves to the preaching and teaching of the word. The ones who are taught the word should share all good things with the one who teaches. Not not make them rich, not, not make them rich, but simply provide for their needs in a sufficient way. If at all possible, pastors should not want, or churches should not want their pastors to be distracted as they devote themselves to the preaching and teaching of the Word and, and to prayer. They, they don't want their pastors to just kind of do this on the side as if it's an afterthought. Churches want their pastor to be prayed up and armed and prepared by the Word of God to feed them the delicacies of the Word and delights of the Word week in and week out. You want a pastor to bear the burdens of the congregation by laboring in the word and prayer in order to dig up the treasures of this book week in and week out and deliver to them what he finds. You want to be able to depend on a pastor to do this. And then also, in turn, pastors are dependent on the congregation to care for and provide for them so that they're not overly burdened by providing for themselves outside of shepherding the church. The pastor bears the burdens of the congregation and the congregation bears the burdens of the pastor. This is why Paul says in 1 Corinthians 9.14 that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. Let the one who has taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. As we have opportunity, let us do good to all, especially to those who are of the household of faith. Averitas, in many ways, I, I feel like Paul when he was writing to the church in Thessalonica in Thessalon and 1 Thessalonians 4:1 he writes to them he says concerning brotherly love you have no need to write to you I feel like that you you guys love so well. You pour yourselves out. You serve so well. Outside of the church and inside of the church, you serve so well. You pour yourselves out for service of others. You provide for my family and I. You're so kind and generous, practically generous. But I also want to say to you, as the Apostle Paul said in 1 Thessalonians here, concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you, but we urge you, brothers, do this all the more. Do this more and more. I want to urge you to do this more and more. I want to urge you to persevere in good works. I want you to, to, to encourage you to work hard, to care for others, to serve others, to pour yourself out like a drink offering, to put your life as a sacrifice on the altar, to serve others. Because if we persevere in doing so, we inherit God's If we sow to the Spirit, we will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Persevere because of God's promise. Paul goes on to say, God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will reap from the Spirit eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good. For in due season we will reap if we do not give up. Let's not kid ourselves. Doing good to all as we have opportunity, especially to the household of faith, is is hard work. We believe that the Christian life is supernatural, that it's lived by grace alone, through faith alone, and the power of Christ alone, But, but growth in Christlikeness, doing good is never easy, and sometimes it's exhausting. It's depleting. It's all grace, but there's a lot of grit involved too, amen? It requires sacrifice, it requires perseverance, but not without the hope of God's promise. To describe this, he uses the metaphor of sowing and reaping. Now, I'm no expert on farming. I live in an 800 square foot house on a plot of land not much bigger than that. Smack dab right in the middle of the city. I don't have a backyard. I have a little patch of grass in my front yard that I mow about once a week. I do have a basil plant that I bought at Trader Joe's. So, But that's about the breadth of my experience. But uh, I did get to know a few farmers during my uh, three months in Wyoming back in 2008. And what I do know from my second-hand knowledge of sowing seeds is that it's hard work. It takes long hours of consistent and persistent labor, especially if the work is done all by hand. It's it's hard. And sowing in the Christian life is is no different. It's hard work, walking by the Spirit, crucifying the flesh with all of its passions and desires, doing good to all, especially to the household of faith, loving our neighbors, restoring the fallen, bearing one another's burdens. It's all weighty work. And in addition to that, the reality is we're, we're all weak. We're all weak. We slack off in the Christian life. We grow tired of doing good. We grow cold to the things of God. We're tempted to sin. We give in to temptation. We experience physical and, and spiritual opposition. We, we, we don't see the results that we want to see. We don't see scores of people coming to know Jesus. We don't see our neighborhoods transformed like we wanted to see. We don't see loved ones saved. All we see is the of need sometimes, and the lack of results. There's always someone who needs help. There's always someone requiring more of us, our spouses, our children, our, our church, our neighbors, our coworkers, whoever it may be. There's always something. We just don't have enough energy, and so we're tempted to just sometimes. And a lot can be said for just taking a nap or going on vacation when you feel like that. A lot can be said for that. Those things are good and necessary sometimes, but ultimately, all the naps and vacations of the world won't solve this problem for us. What we need is strength for perseverance. And we find strength for perseverance in God's wonderful promise. Let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. You reap what you sow. Practically and generally speaking, this is true in the temporal sense, isn't it? There's a universal principle, uh, a universal law that God has written into the created order that we reap what we sow. It's kind of like the law of gravity. What goes up must come down. Same thing is true with sowing and reaping. Works kind of like that. If you're mean and rude to people, chances are people will likely be mean and rude right back. If you invest in a friendship, You'll probably reap the benefits of a loyal and kind friend. If you invest time and money and and talent into a local church community, you will probably get more out of that church community. And if you don't invest, then you probably won't. If you plant a pumpkin seed, you will likely have a pumpkin about 90 days later. Some of you did that a while ago, and you're waiting for your pumpkins to to come up. If you plant sunflower seeds, you'll probably have sunflowers eventually. This, if you go over to, to Garden Station uh, at the corner of East 4th and Wayne, uh, there's a, a garden station over there. For years, a group of people would go there and they would sow seeds and cultivate the soil and work the gardens. And, and it ended up being a, a place of just uh, brimming with, with plant life and, and color and vibrancy. It was just beautiful. But last year, it got shut down. No more sowing seeds, no more tending to the garden, no more cultivating the garden. Rather, they sowed some Chains on the gates. No one can get in. Now it looks like a wasteland. It's an eyesore. It's just a picture of what happens with reaping and sowing. And listen, all this reaping and sowing business isn't just generally true of the here and now, but it's most certainly true of the age to come. When Jesus returns, those who age sowed to the flesh will reap corruption and destruction. Those who sowed to the flesh will, be, will reap the, the judgment and condemnation of Jesus and be condemned to eternity in the lake of fire. For those who sow to the flesh, they will not be welcomed into Christ's eternal everlasting kingdom. But those who sow to the Spirit and walk by the Spirit those who produce the fruit of the Spirit, those who do good to all, especially to those of the household of faith, those who bear one another's burdens, those who restore fallen Christians, those who live for God's pleasure rather than their own, those who persevere in doing good, even when weary, they will reap the richest harvest of all, resurrection life with Jesus of Nazareth forever. And don't hear me say that That This great salvation, this resurrection life forever is salvation by works. Hopefully you've been paying attention to the rest of Galatians to know that this is not the case. Eternal resurrection life is a gift from God given to those who believe, to anyone who believes. It's not based on works. But as we already discussed, although salvation is not a result of works, works are a result of salvation. And those who have been made alive in Christ by the Holy Spirit go out and sow to the Spirit. And by God's grace, they will receive the reward of eternal life to everyone. Everyone who sows this spiritual seed will reap the harvest of eternal life. Notice, it is from the Spirit that we reap Eternal life. The Holy Spirit gives us new life in Christ and causes us to sow the spiritual seed. And for all those who sow spiritual seed, they will have eternal life. In the same way that the Holy Spirit raised Jesus from the dead by the power of the Spirit, when Jesus returns, you will be raised from the dead and you will live and reign with Jesus forever if you sow to the Spirit. That's what's coming for you. Therefore, persevere. Do not become weary in doing good. For you will reap the richest harvest of all. Church, I know it's easy to get discouraged in this. And I just like poured out a mess of emotions to two guys this week. Just discouraged. Just going, guys, I... I don't don't even know how I can keep going with this. I'm just exhausted. I, I know it's easy to get discouraged in this. Oftentimes, being practically generous doesn't have the sort of kickback in the here and now that we want to see. Sometimes it's hard to see the benefit of pouring our life out for others. Sometimes it's hard to see the benefit in sacrificially serving, sacrificially giving, sacrificially sowing. I I draw great comfort from these words from Paul in Philippians 3. For Christ's sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish. That I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith In Jesus Christ, the righteousness of God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings may share in the sacrificial service of practical generosity, may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Becoming like him in his death, That by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection of the dead. Do not be discouraged. Let us not grow weary, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. Christian, God sees you, God sees your sowing, God sees your sacrificial service. He sees your caring. He sees you. And if you look to him and trust his promise, you will find strength to persevere. Because as Isaiah 40 tells us, he gives power to the faint. And to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youths shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. How can we live life together as a spiritual church? By being practically generous. And where do we find strength to persevere in being practically, sacrificially generous? and god 's precious promise, wait for him, and do not grow weary because he will fulfill his promise let 's pray. Father, we trust you. we trust that you are God who fulfills his promises, Lord even if even when we don't feel it, even when we don't feel it. Grant that we would walk by faith and not by sight. Grant that we would not be overwhelmed by all the need, but by the abundance of your spirit would be empowered to pour our lives out like a drink offering to you for the service of our neighbor. Lord, we ask that you would fill us with your spirit And help us keep in step with your spirit. Help us to crucify our flesh with all of its passions and desires. And to be moved from self-focus, self-preservation, self-obsession, self-fulfillment. To focusing on our neighbor's highest good. Starting right here in the household of faith. And also through the abundance of love and service and care that takes place here, letting it spill out into the streets, to our neighbors who don't know you, to everyone as we have opportunity. Grant that we would be strengthened to persevere in this as we remember, as we behold your promise. We need you for this in Jesus' name, amen.